Welcome to the St Martin's Challenge podcast, where we give a voice to the most vulnerable in our society. Hosted by me, Lewis Owens. And me, Savraj Kaur. Morning, everyone. Welcome to uh, another episode and happy International Women's Day. Sav, I should really let you be doing this, shouldn't I? So what I'll do is <laughs> I won't speak for too long and I'll let you and our wonderful guest uh, say as much as possible because Sav and I today uh, are joined by Charlotte Near. Charlotte is a speaker and campaigner for victims of domestic abuse and CEO of a refuge for women and children. Charlotte, great to have you on. Thanks for coming. Welcome. Uh, thanks for having me. Nice to um, meet you both at last. Yeah, it's a it's a pleasure. Now, tell us a little bit more about your refuge or your your um, multiple refuges. I think you have more than certainly more than one. How did it all started? What was the inspiration? So um, the organisation actually was originally just one small refuge, and that was set up by some Surrey women back in 1984. Um, and I came along um, about 11 years ago. Um, after having worked in recruitment and sales all my life and just wanting to really do something with a bit more soul and work with women that were experiencing domestic abuse because I'm obviously a survivor myself and obviously but I am a survivor of domestic abuse myself so I came along and started um, working as a support worker actually directly with the women which I loved um, but I could start to see very, very quickly that there just was not enough refuge spaces. And um, this was back in 2009. And over the sort of following years, I was hearing about more and more refuges that were closing down and losing their funding. Um, and I just thought, God, this is awful. We need to do more. So mm. we're now in a position where we've got three refuges across Surrey. Um, and yeah, we. Um, support and accommodate 30 women and their children so around about 60 65 children at any one time so it's pretty busy but I love it and funny enough I was having a conversation today with somebody who was saying oh when I came to visit you I was expecting it to be really difficult and it was going to be really grim and everyone would be really depressed and they said that um they were just absolutely amazed at how happy everyone was and what a lovely atmosphere the refugees are and um I think people have got this sort of thing that they think oh god it's going to be really depressing but actually mm. it's an absolute joy working here and yeah there are you know there are sadnesses as you would expect but on the whole women and children are free here and you really feel that when you when you come along sure I, I noticed on your website I think you said you you've supported um about 2,000 women and about 3,000 children, which is an incredible amount. How does it work, Charlotte? How how can people find your your services? Do you do they get referred to you? Do they come um, directly? So for us, um, as with a lot of other refugees, we don't actually advertise a vacancy in the sense that you would think we would advertise a vacancy. So as soon as we've got a room free. We um, update that on a system, which is a database um, that all of the refugees across the country use. So I might log in and say, we've got a space for a woman with up to four children. That information is then accessed by the National Domestic Abuse Helpline, 
Um, and the number for that is 0808 2000 24 seven. So if you were experiencing domestic abuse, you'd probably Google domestic abuse. And the first thing that will pop up is the National Domestic Abuse Helpline. You would ring them and they would say, oh, there's a space at RBWA in Surrey, or there's a space at a refuge on the Isle of Wight. And they would give you, as a person ringing, the number for that refuge. And then you would ring us direct and we would see whether it's right for you. Um, and, you know, we need to sort of assess things like, are we far enough away from your home area? So we don't really take anybody from the local area to us. We would take, we would want to, make sure you were a long way away from your home area um, and if you think about it it's it's kind of um you wouldn't want to be out shopping in the town where one of our refugees is and bump into the perpetrator's family or a friend so you have to be a long way away from home so that's that's how people get to us and most of our referrals are women themselves picking up the phone but we do get referrals from children's services, from health, from the police, from housing. Um, but they all come through the same route. They all come via the National Domestic Abuse Helpline. Mm -hmm. So, um, and just to kind of give you an idea about our occupancy, our occupancy rates are almost 100% continuously. And if we've ever got a room that's empty for a day, it's only because we're waiting for a woman and she she can't escape at that very minute, but she's going to try and get out the next morning when he goes off to work mm. or something. So well, that, um, we that that's good and 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 it's bad, isn't it, Charlotte? It's it's great in the sense that you're able to provide this, but it's worrying the sense that that you need to in 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 many ways that there are so many cases that. Um, that require your assistance. I mean, I, I don't know the statistics, you will probably know far better than, than I would, but do you know what the, the statistics are per year for domestic abuse? Um, I can give you our statistics, which are absolutely horrifying and um, make me wanna cry when I think about it. So our um, referral statistics in the, um, at the beginning of April, 2020 which was obviously during the first lockdown um, we were having nine women and their children trying to access every space that we put on our um, that we made available and just to give you a bit of context the previous financial year um, we had four women and their children trying to access every space so that's an uh, you know more than a hundred percent increase I mean honestly four women and their children trying to access every space is bad enough and is not a position we should be in in this country, but actually nine women. And that means we, you know, me and my team are having to say to women, sorry, we haven't got any space. And, you know, being the person that has to say that is, is not a nice place to be. So it's, um, it's a horrific situation, which is only getting worse and more services are shutting down. I think part of the problem um, is that our sector for a very long time was based on a model which was um, dependent on local authority funding. And when certainly when I took over um, our organization, I thought this is a bad model because um, it, it was 
really initially for us and I know for a lot of other organizations we were so dependent on that local authority funding that if that grant from the local authority was pulled then we would have collapsed and we've managed to sort of diversify and and you know create other income streams but I think where perhaps some of the other organizations that have had to fold you know hadn't addressed that model or were unable to increase their kind of charitable income and if you think about it with most charities where they get their money is the kind of song and dance look at the amazing work we're doing come and see what we're doing let's just show you how great we are and for refugees of course we can't do that and we can't even say where we are let alone have loads of people coming in and out to see the work we're doing so you can see why it's difficult to kind of get extra income so um yeah, it's, it's a massive problem and it, it continues. And, you know, we saw several organisations lose their funding last week. So if, organi if refuges aren't closing, they're losing their grants to organisations that are generic and not specialists. So, um, yeah, it's, it's an issue. Not for us, but, thankfully. We're very lucky uh, to have the support of our local authority. But, um, yeah, it's a massive issue. Good. Charlotte, how, how does it work when... Uh... When a woman or, or a child comes in and, and they're allocated the space with you, that's on a, a six-month um, basis generally. What what sort of support do you offer? I saw some wonderful case studies on your uh, on your website. There was uh, a couple of children there, Robert, who I believe you helped with his school uniform, and there was Samira who had come over from India into an arranged marriage. What other sorts of things and, and support do you do you offer children and women whilst they're with, they're with you? Yeah, so this I'm really glad you've asked. I'm going to try and keep this concise because we haven't got all day, but I could talk forever. <laughs> so um, the idea of a refuge, I think most people have, is that it's just a roof over your head, and that is so far from the truth. Every single woman and every single child will have a complete tailored support package for their needs and when we say we're needs led that's not just lip service it is whatever that woman needs or whatever that child needs so just some examples um each child has their own key worker and um they would be offered dependent on age play therapy we've got qualified play therapists on the team um and they would also, if they were sort of out of the age range of play therapy, we fundraise to provide um, adolescent psychotherapy. So the, the sort of trauma work that we do is not confined to that, actually. We do lots of other sessions, group sessions. Um, we do sort of family bonding sessions with mum and the children. Um, one of the sad things about domestic abuse is that that bond between mother and child can be severed. So a lot of work that we do is kind of bringing them back together um, we help the children get into school, so we do all the applications, we get school uniforms, we've got volunteers who are tutors who come in, um, sometimes if we can't get the kids into school for a little while that can be a problem, so we fill in that gap in terms of the education, we're providing tech, um, that's another big issue, tech poverty, um, and yeah just everything that you can think of and then some lovely little things like we've got a project we call the one-to-one -one project where a child chooses like the day of their dreams um and you would think that would be like well oh, take me to a you know a west end show and I want to go on a rickshaw you know those kind of bike things and 
but actually most of the time what they choose is is like they want to go bowling or they want to go to the cinema or they you know and they have a day with um with their key worker where they just do exactly what they want they go to dinner where they want and just that kind of simple attention being one-on-one attention being paid to them that they might have missed out on for so long through no fault you know of their mum it's just that you know in domestic abuse their mum will have been so busy trying to keep the perpetrator happy that often Mm. you know it can be difficult to to pay any attention to those children so that's the children the women you know similar that but different in the sense that the, the issues can be very different. So it will be things like housing and benefits and potentially immigration issues if they're not um, UK citizens. Um, and just, I think if you think about it, it's a bit, it's if one day you woke up and you left your house with nothing but the clothes that you were wearing and just were sort of dumped into an area that you've never seen, never heard of with nothing, we address every need from that point upwards. And, mm. you know, that might involve, first of all, a hug, but it'll also involve what do you need to survive? You know, toiletries and that kind of thing and food and money for food. And it's just, we wrap all of our <laughs> all of our women and children up in cotton wool to begin with. And then over the six months for the women, we kind of just in the beginning with their voice, but at the end, they've got their own voice and I guess that's probably the best way to describe it. No, that's, that's, that's beautiful and very important. Just one final question from from me before Sav has her own questions. Just briefly about domestic abuse because you know we, we often just assume it's, it's the physical abuse and, and that's what we know most about but it's so much more than that isn't it? Just, just talk us through a few more of, of the criteria for domestic abuse because there may be some people who aren't actually aware that that's what they're going through yeah I I think that for for so long we've thought about domestic abuse in the stereotypical way the black eye and you know that kind of thing and I think it's better to talk about domestic abuse as coercive control so this is um a term that is relatively new. There's a new law that was brought in a few years ago around coercive and controlling behavior. And I think it would be better to look at domestic abuse through that lens. And what that is, is a pattern of behaviors and events. And and, um, it's not just an isolated incident. So it's, it's basically subjugating that woman and erasing all of her human rights. So the right to freedom, the right to safety, the right to go to the bathroom without somebody questioning how long you've been in there, the right to um, have somebody going through your phone to not question you when you come off a phone call and say, who were you talking to? What were you talking about? Why were you on the phone so long? When you go out, you know, I often hear women say that they weren't allowed to look at anywhere other than the floor. Otherwise, it would have caused a problem. And it's that removal of your your basic human rights that is an insidious drip, drip, drip thing where by the end of it, you don't even know where you are, who you are anymore. And the physical 
violence element is such a small part of that and actually often it doesn't even factor in the relationship because actually the threat of it is enough um and you know i know of, of some really serious cases where um that have ended up you know in homicide where where um there wasn't any violence at all femicide should i say um where there was no physical violence in the relationship and those cases are heartbreaking because I thank God if only they'd known they were in an abusive relationship and had picked up the phone to get help. But often they don't even know they're in an abusive relationship because it doesn't fit with the stereotype that we all sort of assume it is. So it can be emotional and financial. You know, financial control is something that we see often um, in, in relationships. I experienced it myself where. I wasn't allowed my own money. I had to ask for money and I had to um, itemise what I was going to be spending that money on. Um, sexual control is something that is often associated with these kinds of relationships. And that might not be what we all think of as rape. That could be coercion. And the way that we look at um, rape within the context of an abusive relationship is do you have the ability to say no? And if you don't have the ability to say no because you're scared of the person that you're with, then that is rape. And actually that's quite a difficult concept for people to get their head around, but it's such an important one because we talk about consent and we know that you know stranger rape, you obviously didn't consent, but actually in the context of a coercive and controlling relationship, you don't have the capacity to consent. So. Um, there's a lot of information there, but if you recognise yourself in any of the things that I'm saying, then I really hope that you, you can reach out for help. Thanks, Charlotte. Um, it's really useful. And obviously, we're, we're living in a pandemic. And this year, we've all had to follow strict orders to stay home, to stay safe. Um, but some people fear their own homes and, and have been left to just be in unsafe spaces for much longer. Can you tell us a bit more about the hidden tragedy of lockdown? When lockdown first, at first looked like it was looming on the horizon, I was just thinking, oh my God, what the hell are these people gonna do? I mean, I kind of actually suffered a bit of vicarious trauma myself or, or, or my own trauma, vicarious, probably not the right word, but, I was sort of putting myself back in the situation of when I was in my relationship thinking, how would I have survived if lockdown had happened when I was with my ex-husband? And I think it's important to try and understand about tactics that an abuser uses, and then it makes sense why this is so bad. So one of the tactics that um, an abuser would use is isolation. And pre-lockdown, that probably would have consisted of stopping you from seeing your friends and family, maybe stopping you from working, you know, maybe sometimes moving you to a different area of the country. The reason lockdown was so bad is because it just handed, it handed isolation to an abuser on a plate. Mm -hmm. And you are in a situation where you're under constant monitoring anyway, but you may have had some respite if you went to work or he went to work. 
but this just basically means that that person is able to monitor you and control you 24 7 and what it also did was prevented escape routes so often um, our women come to us when the perpetrators are work or you know they might have gone to the doctors made a fake doctor's appointment and that's how they got out you know it just literally stopped women being able to reach out for help and I'm talking about women sorry specifically I suppose I want to mention this really um, is because women are suffered domestic abuse in far greater numbers than men however obviously we acknowledge that men do suffer domestic abuse but I'm a woman I work with women so that's why I'm constantly talking about women rather than people um so yeah lockdown even now talking about it it just fills me with horror really I feel so sorry for the women and children god kids what they've been putting up with as well I mean it's it's we've made progress in this country well we will have done when the domestic abuse bill comes in because we're for the first time recognizing children who are living in a household where there's abuse as primary victims rather than witnesses or secondary victims. And for such a long time, you know, we've just kind of thought, oh, well, they're in the next room and they did, you know, they might not have heard it or whatever. And what's so important about the domestic abuse bill is recognizing that children are affected badly, you know, even if they're not the ones experiencing, say, physical abuse, they are experiencing the whole breadth of that abuse and for them to have been locked down for months and months in a household where you know they're not allowed to make noise or you know they're just constantly tiptoeing around the abuser I just yeah it's awful it is awful so there's there's not only a lack of beds but there'll be an increase in cases and then things like court delays maybe for those who are trying to bring someone uh just take someone through the justice system and then the mental health, a lot, not only the short-term effects, but the long-term effects, it's, um, it's huge. And there was an announcement in recent days that um, the government's making some, uh, give, giving 19 million to help tackle domestic abuse. Um, but I am sensitive to the fact that there were many cuts in the past, as you mentioned, and lack of funding is still very real. Um, I'm going to give you a little challenge if you had any amount of money in the world how would you invest it to make lives better for these women and children and would you focus on prevention as much as supporting and accommodating those in crisis and I'm just interested to know how how you'd go about it so oh god what a, what a big question but um well there's there are strands to that and I mean you know we are reacting refugees are reacting that's what we're doing and community services are reacting to victims of domestic abuse it would be great to be in a position where we were preventing so some of the money um if i had this magical pot of money would go into prevention but i think it would go in much earlier than the than say a perpetrator program, which is trying to change in, entrenched views and attitudes. Mm. My investment would be in early education in schools um, and from a very young age, teaching about he healthy relationships and what a good relationship looks like 
but more importantly, in my opinion, it would be teaching about equality and what women should expect and what women should put up with and what they shouldn't put up with. And it would be changing the way that society views women. I think that that is such a massive thing that we need to address. Um, God, it's, you know, it's beyond the realms of kind of trying to really think about it, but it, but, you know, a lot of the, uh, yeah, we need, we need to be teaching kids about equality and that men and women are equal. That's, that's, that would be a lot of the money would go towards that. And also, um, of course, supporting victims and, you know, I'd create a, a sustainable network of refuges and whatever funding that required we would put that money in and the same for community services because refuge isn't suitable for everybody it's you know some people want to remain in their own homes and so community services are so valuable um in helping that happen so yeah you've got to look at it in in those ways i guess we invest millions and millions into perpetrator programs i.e adult perpetrator programs my personal view, and people might not like it, is no. I think that um, unless somebody who is a perpetrator of domestic abuse is willing to admit it and really admit it and, and want to change, then there's zero point in putting them on a perpetrator programme. So court-ordered perpetrator programmes, in my, in my opinion, are totally pointless and are a tick box exercise for whoever's ordered them thinking great we've solved the domestic abuse problem but mm. actually it doesn't solve it and um i'm sure others have got a different view and you know that's just mine yeah brilliant i hope you get to meet all your goals and um just because it is International Women's Day, um, as well as the amazing people that you you know you work with and that you support, um, do you want to name any women who inspire you? The the I mean I've got some specific people that I'm going to name, but really the women that inspire me every day are the women that stay in our refuge, and I just want to emphasise how much strength it takes to leave an abusive relationship and you know to have the courage to do that I just those women you know uh, are awe inspiring specific people that I admire um and that we work with I mean I think Victoria Derbyshire is doing an amazing job in raising awareness um of what's happening for women in lots of different ways in family court and domestic abuse um, we work with an amazing charity called Stripey Stalk, who are a baby bank who um, supply us with everything that we need um, for the kids that, that stay with us. And yeah, they're absolutely incredible. I'm an ambassador for Women's Aid, um, the national organisation. They're a fantastic charity. Um, the, uh, another smaller organisation who are doing amazing things are Surviving Economic Abuse. And um, they really have done some huge things in terms of bringing some, the sort of financial control element to, to the forefront. Um, another woman I really admire is Laura Richards. She's doing amazing things, changing laws. 
there are so many honestly I could I could go on all it's day there's endless stuff. lists of women yeah that's good to know and you're one of them so um for me anyway um could we just close with um you gave a national and domestic abuse helpline number out earlier if we could repeat that and if you have any other advice um, that you might want to give to someone who may be listening or stumble across this podcast who might think I need help yeah I mean a lot of um so the, the national domestic abuse helpline is 0808 2000 24 7 um, that you'll get all the help you need there and that could be for community services that could be for refuge spaces or just general advice if you don't feel like you can pick up the phone then google women's aid because they've got a chat service so you could text that if you don't feel you can make a phone call um, i would just say if you're suffering if you've recognized yourself in anything i've said today reach out to somebody the ask for annie scheme if you can get to a pharmacy and ask for Annie, they'll point you in the direction of a phone that you can use. Um, yeah, just ask for help. And if you decide to confide in somebody, choose that person carefully because we don't want them to minimise what you're going through and they may not understand what domestic abuse is either. So try and get advice from the experts if you can. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank, thank you so much, Charlotte. Can I just also read out your website just in case people want to... Uh, to go on to that for, for more details, which is www.rbwa.org.uk. Um, Charlotte, it's been um, inspiring listening to you. Um, and just, you know, on behalf of Sav and I, just thank you for everything you're doing. Um, keep up the great work. And, and it's, it's wonderful to know that there's people and there's organisations like yourself out there so if anyone is listening to this and and feels the need to to get help then uh, i hope they know uh, where to come so charlotte near thanks ever so much for joining us thank you thank you